0: Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Jonah, and we will continue on in chapter one. And I'll give you a moment to turn there. Jonah sort of breaks down. Chapter one, God calls Jonah. Jonah disobeys. Chapter two, Jonah prays. Chapter three, we see God calling Jonah again. Jonah obeys. And then chapter 4, Jonah prays. That's how the book breaks down if you want to read through it this week and just kind of see how it all fits together. But let's come before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank You for the book of Jonah. We thank You for the many lessons it teaches. But Lord, we thank You most of all that it introduces us to You, our great God. Ultimately, the book of Jonah ministers to our soul Your words and breathes faith into our hearts. And if we have ears to hear, oh, what glorious truth it has to hold for us. And so, Father, I pray that You would come upon the preaching of the Word because it's not unto us, Lord. It's not unto us, but unto Your name that we want to give glory. And Your Word is a shining light. It is a compass to our soul. It is life-giving, and it is what imparts faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so I do pray, that as we get into the book of Jonah, that we would be helped, helped along today, in Jesus' name, amen. So, when I was a toddler, I was a bit of a runner, and I, so I'm told, my, my parents often tell the story of me two years old, and somehow I got out of the door. And I started running, and we lived in a cul-de-sac, and so I start running down the street in my birthday suit. So I'm running and running and running, and my mom and dad are tearing after me, and and they're just chasing me. And there's about 30 homes as you go down the street all the way down. And I am just taking off on the run. And they're in hot pursuit, kind of frantic. They don't know if cars are coming. They don't know what's going on. Plus, if I fall, that's going to be bad news, right? Right. So they just pursue me and pursue me. And finally, they catch up and grab me up. And they never forget telling me that story of how I was on the run, but they were in hot pursuit. And ultimately, they caught up to me. And our story in Jonah is just like that. Jonah is on the run. He's running from God. He's been called, right? He's been called. And now he's on the run from God. And he's made arrangements, paid for a ship to Tarshish, and he's headed away as far away from Nineveh, that wicked city, that Assyrian enemy that he doesn't want anything to do with. And he's on the run the complete opposite direction. And God... Is in hot pursuit of him. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Jonah is a running prophet, but he has a pursuing God. And ultimately, our passage is going to break down in, in, in just three sections the pursuing God, the running prophet, and then the fear. Of God or fearing God, the fear of Yahweh, the one true God. So turn with me, if you would, to Jonah chapter 1 and verse 4, and we'll read our story. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain of the ship said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we might not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let's cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Surprise! (laughs) The lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And where is your country? And and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done For the men knew that He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because He had told them. And then they said to Him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Kind of feel that. (laughs) What shall we do to you? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And He said, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to try to get back to dry land, and, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you o lord have done as you as it pleased you so they picked up jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased raging and the men feared the lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the lord and made vows and the lord appointed a great fish to swallow up jonah and jonah was in the belly of the fish 3 days and 3 nights you can't make that stuff up. That is God at work pursuing His prophet in a powerful way. Even though Yahweh, the King of Israel, the Lord who made heaven and earth, has a prophet going the wrong direction, He's going to be sure by the end of it that this prophet gets on the right track. And He's going to do some amazing, glorious Incredible realities in the midst of this. So, point number one, pursuing God. We see it right there in the text, right? Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. God, in the Hebrew, is like He threw a spear. That's the kind of idea. But, uh, he, he chucked a storm after his prophet. Jonah had been running as far away from God as he p- could possibly get, and he did not get very far. And the Lord threw a storm after his prophet. And you see the contrast, right? Jonah had been going to Tarshish, and then it says, but the Lord hurled the great wind. And I just want to pause there and think about it. If if there were no contrast like that in the Bible, and Jonah just goes off on his own, there'd be very little hope. But the Lord hurled a great storm. And God will do that in our lives. He will bring a storm into our life to get our attention. We may be going the wrong direction on something. We may be caught up in something that's not good for us. That's doing violence to the spiritual well-being of our souls. And He's a heavenly Father who knows I need to get this child's attention. I need to get at their heart. And so He'll send some storms into our life sometimes to wake us up. And Jonah was no different. And I can remember when I was in the Marine Corps, and I was stationed in Iwakuni, Japan. as this air station. And there was a typhoon. And everybody was freaked out. There was a few people who wanted to venture out and into the storm and thought it was funny. And um, ultimately, we were huddled in the barracks, and we were watching this typhoon just rip roofs off buildings, you were seeing debris flying everywhere. It was, I mean, you could kind of feel as you're watching this storm, that subtle sort of fear building up in your soul. And you, you see the power of God and the power of a storm and the power of what it must have been like. And in our text, that the ship is about to break up, verse four, right? The ship is ready to crack up. And and that that language there, it's like personifying this idea. If you see in verse 4, it says the ship threatened to break up. It's this idea of the ship is quivering and ready to come apart. What a metaphor for the soul, right? What's going on with Jonah? What's going on in his heart? He has a storm inside Him. And sometimes the Lord will send a storm after us to reveal that there's a storm inside us. There's a storm inside us. It's noisy in our souls. Something's not right. And He lovingly is coming after Jonah. And even the ship itself is ready to break up. God is seen as sovereign and majestic and powerful in His pursuit all through Jonah. We see He hurls the storm. And then we see in verse 17 that He commands and speaks to a fish and has authority over the fish of the sea. He's Lord of the storm and He's Lord of the sea. And pretty soon, by the book's ending, you start seeing that God's in control of everything. The lot is cast in the lap, and it falls on Jonah. I wonder who was behind that. The Lord is sovereign over every molecule in the universe. There's not a rogue molecule, as one person once put it. Think about what that means for us. The trial that you're going through right now, It's not an accident. It's not, oh, this just happened to be this way. God is up to something. And often our trials are doorways into deeper dependence and fellowship with the living God. And ultimately, Jonah has the Lord knocking on the door of his heart. But what do we see? What do we see that this prophet's doing? It's odd, right? The the sailors get it. The sailors in verse 5, the mariners are afraid and they each cry out to all their gods. I mean, calling all cars, calling all cars. Is there any God out there who will help us? That's kind of the idea, right? They're trying to get as much help. and, And the problem is, any old God won't do. And Jonah is in the belly of the ship. And verse 6 says he's fast asleep. He went down into the deepest part of the ship and he's fast asleep. And God has thrown a typhoon on him to let him know, I'm not done with you, Jonah. I'm not done. And the odd thing is the sailors, the mariners, see... That this is a desperate deadly storm and they're in trouble and jonah is fast asleep at the bottom of the ship and i wonder if the spirit is trying to communicate that it's exhausting to run from god he had been running. He had made arrangements. He had paid a fare. He had gotten as far away from Nineveh as possible and he was just exhausted. Because when you run from the will of God, you're kicking against the goads. As Paul said, or as Jesus said to Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? You think you're serving God and you're fighting against God. And ultimately, Paul had to get knocked off his horse, right? On the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to him. And he gets reset a little bit. And he becomes one of the boldest missionaries the church has ever seen. And Jonah is fast asleep when the sailors around him are are perishing, or they think they're perishing, and he's snoozing peacefully in hibernation. I wonder if, that's where some of us might be at. Asleep on the boat when everything around us is chaotic. Asleep on the boat when there are spiritual needs around us. There are pagans around us. There are people who don't know Jesus who are on their way to perishing in the waters of God's judgment if we don't wake up and arise. If we don't as Jonah stay asleep in the belly of the boat, but we rise up and we see the needs for what they really are. God had pursued Jonah and sent this storm so that Jonah would realize that he was being called to the Gentiles and to pagans. And it's so interesting that he finds himself surrounded on a ship Full of what? Pagans. Full of heathens. Full of non-Jews as he would have thought. He tried to get away from Nineveh and God brought Nineveh, a little slice of Nineveh to him. So he could be concerned about the things that God is concerned about. As much as he tried to get away, God had other plans for him. And they're merciful plans. They're gracious plans. They're awe-inspiring plans because God has been chasing him down. And God doesn't really have to lift a finger; He just whoosh, storm. Whoosh, I get 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 you a nice group of sailors who are dialed into what I'm doing because they're desperate. Another little side lesson we see in verse um, five is that the sailors start crying out to their gods, and they start hurling all the debris they can, all the cargo of the ship, into the sea. And I just thought about it. And and false religion always emerges when we're afraid. When we're desperate. How many people have to face absolute terror before they begin to look up? How many people have to experience utter destitute emergencies, crises, before they will call out before they will come to some kind of help. And they're grasping for any religion they can at this point on this boat. And many people do that. But there's only one God who will answer. There's only one God who answers. And He's the God pursuing Jonah. Point number two, we've seen God pursues Jonah But now we see Jonah is running. We see Jonah is sleeping. We see Jonah is being rebuked by the strangest messenger. Let's look at this. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. This is mind-blowing. So, Jonah is asleep. He gets woken up by the pagan captain sailor. And he essentially rebukes Jonah. So God sends this captain into Jonah's quarters to wake him up and tell him to pray. Have you ever been rebuked by a non-believer about living out Christianity. It's a pretty amazing experience when that happens. When you know that you're wrong in some way, and there's, there's a contrast between what you're showing people and what's really going on in the heart, and they call you out. Sometimes God will do that. And God was doing that to Jonah. Jonah's not only not praying, and Jonah's responsible for the whole thing, in some ways, but Jonah gets called out by this pagan sailor to begin to cry out to God, because he hasn't talked and if you notice, Jonah hasn't even spoken in the book yet. He doesn't talk to God, or he doesn't talk until verse nine. So Jonah's silence is a reminder of just how grave and just how far gone. He had gotten. But he's about to be caught. Look at verse 7. This is comical. Like verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Casting lots was, was a very common way To try to discern the will of God in the Old Testament and also in pagan religions, they would do that. And they would just, it's kind of like rolling the dice. And the Proverbs reminds us that the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And ultimately, these sailors are trying to find out who is responsible. They've tried everything they can do, their own kind of way to kind of save themselves. Throwing stuff off the boat, crying out to all their false gods. Nothing's working. We better cast lots. We better find out what's going on. And the lot falls to Jonah. Busted! Jonah is responsible, and the sailors know it. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? Can you feel the interrogation there? It's like CSI, blue bloods, that sort of thing. And they're in the interrogation room and they're just peppering him with questions. Boom, 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 boom. We want to know what's going on. We're about to die. You're asleep. And all of a sudden, the lot's calling you out. Something's up. And Jonah's going to have to come clean. So the prophet sleeps. He gets rebuked and woken up. And now, he's going to have to confess. And he's going to have to declare. And he's going to have to share a message. And it's almost like a little microcosm of what God wants him to do with Nineveh. He's going to have to testify to who this God is that brought the storm upon him. And for the first time in the book, we see Jonah... Speak. Verse 9. And He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to them, what is this that you've done? For they knew that He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because He told them. Now, Jonah confesses Number one, I'm a Hebrew. That would tell all the foreign people that he is a Hebrew. He follows the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And notice the description tells you something. I fear the Lord. I worship the Lord. I have reverence and awe for Yahweh. And if you will remember, this is the one who put ten plagues on Pharaoh and he bowed the knee. This is the one whose voice came in a burning bush. This is the one who rains down fire and sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the one who the pagans actually have heard whispers of and has struck terror in the hearts of the Egyptians and the Assyrians. One day, Yahweh slaughtered 187,000 Assyrians with a single angel because they were coming against his king. So perhaps the sailors would have known when he said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. He's in control of the storms. Who made the sea? He's in control of the tempest. And He made the dry land. He's in control of all things. This God is sovereign and this is the God that Jonah begins to declare. And it's kind of couched in a confession. It's me, guys. But it's my God who's doing this. And they were greatly afraid. And perhaps what this world needs most is to experience the fear and awe of the majestic, king of all the earth because men will not give up their religion unless the fear of God falls on them unless you begin to get afraid unless you begin to sense that this majestic God who is over all things you are accountable to and it does not matter that you are worshiping false gods as a maritime sailor. And it does not matter that you were worshiping false gods in some far off land. Whether it's the pantheon of Hinduism, or whether it's the false gods of any other religion. When the real God shows up, the people fear and they tremble because He is an awesome God. But that's not all. He's a compassionate God, right? He's merciful and compassionate. Chapter 4, verse 2 reminds us Jonah Jonah is going to recall, I knew you were going to do this, Lord. I knew you were compassionate and merciful and that's why Nineveh is repenting and that's why you're relenting of this disaster. He's awesome. He's fierce. But He's compassionate. And if you turn from your sin, He will forgive you if you put your trust in the One He sent who's the true Lord of all the earth, you can be saved. Because there was another storm about 800 years later and the disciples were in the boat. And Jesus was fast asleep in the boat, interestingly. But He just had peace. He wasn't running from God. He was doing the perfect will of God. And a fierce storm came upon the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember what happened, everybody was terrified. It was like a white squall out on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus gets up and says, oh, you of little faith! And He looks at the storm and He says, peace! Be still! And what happens? The storm ceases. And they begin to get terrified. And they mutter to themselves, who must this be? That even the wind and the sea obey Him? He casts out demons and He calls the storms to cease and they stop. Who is this man? Who is He if not the living God? Who is He if not the Son of God? And Jonah is testifying to Yahweh. And Jesus would take the name of the Lord, the Great I Am. The One who was the voice from the burning bush. Jesus is God in the flesh. And ultimately, Jonah was pointing forward to that. Point number three. We've seen ultimately God pursues. Jonah runs. And now, we've got a little foretaste. The awe of God. Fearing God. Let's take the rest of the chapter starting with verse 11 and unfold it a little bit. Then they said to Him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So Jonah, is, he's, he's basically saying, toss me in and it'll all be better. I'm the reason why this is happening. Just, just toss me in. And it's hard to know whether he's got suicidal tendencies or he's just like, listen, I'm going to help you out if you deal with me. This will all stop because I've been running away. And he's already told them that. So he told them the whole sordid tale. And they're afraid. And there's nothing but fear kind of dripping from this passage when it comes to the sailors' response. And ultimately, Jonah is trying to help them in some way because he's just forced to it. Verse 13 Nevertheless, the men, you've got to give it to the sailors. They rode hard to try to get back to land. They didn't want it. If, if we kill this prophet and his God did all this business, we are in trouble with a capital T. And they didn't want any of it. So they're trying to get back to shore. They're trying to get back to dry land. Dry land. For the sea grew more and more. And it just got worse, didn't it? It grew more and more tempestuous. It's just going back from bad to worse. You, you, you can't get your way out of it. Unless you do it God's way. So, verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. And this is interesting to me. The first time that we see somebody pray in this story to the true and living God is not Jonah, it's the pagans. Look, verse 14. Oh, Lord. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. The Lord hurled a storm. Now they're hurling Jonah into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And you got to imagine that. They just, they man overboard, and he goes in. And they're just like, Lord, please don't lower the boom on us because he told us to do it. He's your prophet. Let's just try to, you know, we're just doing the best we can. They just want to make sure God knows they're innocent of this man's blood. And verse 16 says, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. There's a double emphasis. They were greatly afraid at first when they were tossing cargo into the sea. Now They're moving from just a fear of the power of God to the worship of the living God. They feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Can you believe that? They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Jonah on the run from God. God pursues Jonah and God indirectly gets Jonah to testify about Himself, and you got a boat full of pagans who end up converted and come to the living God. Only the Lord can do that. Only the Lord can move us from apathy to awe of God. Only the Lord can move you, brothers and sisters, from apathy and sleep to awe of the living God. Will You cry out to the Lord and say, give me awe of You, O God. Will You grant us that we would be not asleep in the boat, but in awe of You, seeing the needs of the pagan sailors in the world around us. Oh, That we might see the needs around us in Smithfield, in Henry County, in Oldham County, Needs in your families. needs. If we will but have eyes to see oh, what the Lord might do. Jonah was trying to do the opposite of what God wanted. And he ended up indirectly used of God to save these sailors. So you might be thinking to yourself, well... (laughs) Do I have to be like super Christian to go out and share the Gospel? Do I have to be super Christian to weigh in on some theological issue? Do I have to be super Christian to do some of these things? No. You actually can be kind of uh, just an average Joe. Jonah was actually disobedient and God used him. So let that encourage you that if you will just ask the Lord, give me opportunity, and then step out in faith, who knows what the Lord might do? That's how awesome God is. How often have you been in a conversation at the water cooler or at the family table that you never really intended and all of a sudden, the Lord began to use you? The more we open our eyes, the more we pray, the more we seek the God who is able to do these things, you will begin to have hearts attuned to the living god that's one of the lessons of jonah loving neighbor and spoiler alert Nineveh is our neighbors everybody's our neighbors even the people that you would despise normally you see their life and you say this is horrible that's your neighbor and god is calling you out of being asleep in the boat to actually look at your neighbor with compassion because that's the way He sees them. Jesus looked on the crowds and He said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Would you pray that God would give you that heart of compassion? So as we begin to wrap this message up, I I just want to say a few words by way of application. We've already seen a few of these things, but ultimately, we'll be served if we realize a couple things. Number one, the Lord is in absolute control of everything. Everything that goes on in your life is under His control. So you're in the middle of a pandemic. That seems pretty shaky. And you feel discouraged by that, but I want you to know that you can be comforted that the Lord of the storm is in control. And our trust is in Him. The Lord is our God in the heavens. And He does as He pleases. In verse 15, the sailors, or sorry, verse 14, the sailors even recognize, Oh Lord, you have done as it pleased you. The Lord is in control of your life. And if you submit to him in the midst of trial, you will experience the surprising, glorious grace of God. He's an ever present help in a time of need. Do you need an ever-present help today? Do you need your soul encouraged because you feel so low that you just didn't even want to come to church today? Know He's in control and know He's an ever-present help. Number two, God may be sending a storm into your life because there's a storm inside your heart. Oftentimes, not all times, but sometimes the trials come to awaken us to a need for repentance. And Jonah is a great lesson for us to know that it's a merciful Father who would do that. God the whole time is teaching His prophet in the school of trials And lovingly, fatherly love coming after him to turn him around. And Jonah is going to have a fuller vision of God's love and faithfulness by the end of it. And even beyond the book of Jonah. Because we don't know what the Lord did through Jonah after this. We just know that God put this in the Bible so that you and I would know that sometimes... Trials serve God's purposes to draw you closer to Him. And I would encourage you to come close to the Lord in those trials. Number four, or sorry, number three. (laughs) I can't count. Um, Be in awe of God. God is truly awesome, and there's nobody like Him. Be amazed at His grace and His ability to use. Jonah in spite of his weaknesses. God is evoking awe from you and I in this book. He wants you to see how powerful He is. He wants you to see how majestic He is. He wants you to have Jonah's testimony before the sailors. I fear the Lord. And I am... A Christian. And ultimately, He is the One who made heaven and earth. And He is the One who sent His Son into the world to save sinners. And you know what? He sent the prophet Jonah. And a storm came. And in order to save a bunch of pagan sailors, Jonah has to be thrown into the sea. And do you know what? God sent another prophet many, many years later who would give Himself willingly to the sea of the justice of God on a cross, on Calvary, on the cross, Christ died and He laid Himself bare for your sins and for mine if you will believe. And you can be saved if you turn your heart over to Him. Maybe right now you are thinking to yourself, I need the Lord. I need salvation. I need God to break in because what has been happening before this has been perfunctory religion. It's been mechanical. Jesus said to the Pharisees, what did He say to them? You're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, you look good. Inwardly, you're corrupt. Like dead men's bones. You honor Me with your lips, but your heart is far from Me. And there are people who just as in our story, there are people in our world, and there are people even in our midst that have perfunctory religion, but they need a visitation from the true and living God. They need the Gospel of Jesus. They need to turn from their sins and believe on the One who is worthy of praise, worthy of honor, and who can rescue them. And my dear friend, maybe you're in this room, or maybe you're listening online, and you need to turn your life over to God. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that if you turn from your sins and you put your trust in the One who died on the cross, you will be saved. And He will not turn away any who draw near to Him. And our last point is that He'll never let you go when you do it. He'll never let you go. God was not about to let His prophet go no matter how far He went. And my dear friend, God will not let you go. Go. No matter how bad it gets. No matter how far out you get. As a believer, He will pursue you. He will keep you. And He will keep you to the end. Jesus said, My sheep know My voice, and they hear Me. And they follow Me. And I know them. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. So you've got Jesus holding on to you. You've got the Father holding on to you. Ain't nobody going to snatch you from the Lord's hand. That's Jesus' promise to you and the book of Jonah teaches us that too. This is the amazing, pursuing, relentless, grace of God for sinners in need. And the book of Jonah is all about that. And may your hearts be gripped with it. And may you come to Him joyfully as a child of God or repentantly as somebody in desperate need of this great God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your faithfulness. And I thank You for Your Word. Your Word does not come back void. You do what You please with Your Word. And I pray that You would fasten it in our hearts. That we would be strengthened by the words of Jonah, which are the Spirit-breathed words of God. And I thank You for Your faithfulness. I thank You, Lord, that this Word is powerful and effectual to grow us, to grant us faith, and to even make us born again if we do not know You. So I pray, Father, that You would minister Your grace to us in Jesus' name.